You've tuned into The Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to The Dr. Lowe Show. Welcome back to another episode of Dr. Lowe's show. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. And this episode was really fun. I had a, one of my friends on the show who's been on a few times and he's one of my coworkers at Shine. So it's always fun when doctors get to hop on the air and just geek out together. So you get to be a part of our, our little brainiac session. I mean, who doesn't like talking about metabolic syndrome for an hour, right? <laughs> So I'm here at the house. I'm in the back office, just living the quarantine life. It is pouring rain right now in San Diego. And I mean, like my backyard is like flooded in different areas. That's how rainy it is. But today is one of those days I really just want to chill in my pajamas and watch movies, which I'm kind of halfway there because I'm in pajamas and my robe. <laughs> I mean, is anyone getting dressed up and putting on makeup right now? Like, really? I think most of us ladies are wearing our hair up in a bun like for pretty much the whole day. I hope that you are all doing well, that you're keeping positive during this time and that you are finding the sweet parts of the day and being grateful and you know, finding moments of pause and just being able to find your center and not allow all of the negativity and really the toxic fear around us to creep into your space. So boundaries are important. We can really set up those, those important boundaries and choose to go through this in a, a more positive way. Now, if you hear something in the show that makes you want to go ahead and get some testing done, we are ready and willing at Shine Natural Medicine. We're happy to work with you. We can do testing, whether you're local in San Diego or if you are out of state, we can do work with you over the phone and just help you get better. Metabolic syndrome, and we'll explain exactly what that is if you're not familiar, but it's something we see all the time and it's very, very common. So a lot of you listening have it and probably a good amount of you don't even know that you do. To check us out and to make an appointment, go over to shinenaturalmedicine.com and you'll find our contact info and you can reach out to us and we can get you set up for an appointment. Before we jump into the episode, there's one product that I would highly encourage you all to consider if you are wanting to prevent something like metabolic syndrome, or if you are dealing with this and you would like to start making a difference for this condition, and that is my very favorite green drink from Organifi. So their green juice is just incredible. It's freeze-dried, so it doesn't damage any of the different nutrients in it. And Organifi has a lot of different products that I'm a big fan of, but the green juice specifically has been found to lower bad cholesterol, increase good cholesterol, and also help with fat loss. So when you get into the meat of the show, you'll hear about how those specific things are really important to preventing and treating metabolic syndrome. So to grab your green drink, and I recommend doing at least one a day, one drink a day, but you can up it for even better results in those three different markers. So for fat loss, decreasing bad cholesterol, increasing good cholesterol, so yeah, you basically just put a scoop in some water, stir it up, and you drink it down. You're getting your vegetables for the day. You're getting ashwagandha, which is an herb that helps to calm the stress response. And we know stress can increase belly fat and throw off cholesterol. 
And it also has different antioxidants in it, um, anti-inflammatory, different herbs. So it, it just works very synergistically. So you can get that over at Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code DRLO20, so D-R-L-O-2-0, and you'll get 20% off your green drink or anything else on the website. So if you wanted to get immune boosting, their, their immunity, um, that would be included as well, or their probiotics. They have just a great selection there. So enjoy. Let's jump into the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. We have a buddy of mine on the show, my colleague, my partner in shine. Ooh, that was a good little pun on words. So Dr. Chad, he's back on the show for the third time. He is one of my other fellow docs at Shine Natural Medicine. He's wonderful, amazing. Patients love him. He's so good of a doctor that patients have followed him for over a decade. <laughs> and even like to different offices, they just keep following him because he's, he's so good. So um, I'm excited to have him on for the third time. First time was about pain management. The second time we had him on with Elizabeth Mercero, our nutritionist. They were talking about using the keto approach. And then we'll link those both in the show notes if you want to hear the past shows. And we're going to be talking about metabolic syndrome on this episode, which is crazy common. And it's something that more people need to know about. So yeah, so a little bit about Dr. Chad. He holds a doctorate in naturopathic medicine from Southwest College of Natural, Naturopathic Medicine and Doctor of Chiropractic Degree from Southern California University of Health Sciences. He's a certified clinical nutritionist as well and a certified strength and conditioning specialist. And his practice integrates naturopathic medicine with advanced lab testing and diagnostic imaging. And he uses a lot of different tools like diet, nutritional counseling, prolotherapy, regenerative injection therapy, chiropractic, bioidentical hormone replacement, IV therapy, and lots of natural alternatives to prescription drugs. So he is a big geek. We love to nerd out on different topics. And I know this is a topic he's been studying a lot more lately and having some really incredible results. So come back. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Chad. It's good to have you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to nerding out. Yeah, let's do it. So tell me what you've been geeking out on lately, and then we can dive more into it. Well, this is one of those things where it's like, um, you know, my own life kind of bleeding into my clinical practice, mm-hmm. I discovered that I had something that I think we'll get into called metabolic syndrome a few years ago. And I can't uh, believe you had that. Really? Yeah, I had it. Crazy. And so I took a really deep dive into what this is. We've known about this for a very long time. It used to be called like syndrome X. It's had a bunch of different names, like from the eighties and nineties but it's been in the shadows still for a long time. Now I think we've all kind of settled on calling it metabolic syndrome, but it's had a few different variations of names, but I had it. And uh, I'll, I'll go over these uh, five like main criteria, but I had three out of the five criteria and that's all you need is three out of the five wow. to be diagnosed with metabolic syndrome. So I had it and I went, man, if I have this and I'm pretty conscious of what I'm doing, then imagine all the other people out there that need to know about this. And I just started picking them out of my practice left and right that I might've been treating them for something else. And then I went, okay, let's go down these criteria. And oh my gosh, the percentage was huge. And we treat, you know, 
a lot of patients that are super fit and they're just trying to get fitter and healthier. Mm -hmm. And so these are already pretty aware people. And I found metabolic syndrome left and right. So it's something that is um, very interesting to me. And so, yeah, I've taken a deep dive. So do you have, like, I'm sure you as naturopathic doctors are always looking to the root cause. So can you look back and think of what could have led to you getting metabolic syndrome? So um, let me tell you the five criteria and I'll tell you what my three were. And then I think I can answer it that way. So the five criteria are elevated blood pressure, elevated triglycerides, elevated uh, blood sugar, your glucose, um, an elevated waist circumference. And I'll tell you what the measurements are that they consider elevated. And then uh, low HDL cholesterol. So as far as those blood markers, those are just really typical. Everybody gets those tested glucose and basically a lipid panel. And so you can determine those. And then the waist circumference, you just very simply take like a flexible tape measure around the level of your belly button. And in women, above 35 is considered elevated. In men, above 40 inches. And so um, I had uh, my blood pressure was elevated again uh, above the parameters. I think currently it's maybe, uh, I don't have this in front of me, but I think it's above 130 over 85. Mm -hmm. And mine was about 140 over 90. So that was elevated. Yeah, my HDL cholesterol. you know, so your listeners would think of that as like the good cholesterol is supposed to be above a certain amount, like above 60, even above 70 would be nice. Mine was low. It was flag low. Hmm. And uh, my um, waist, my waist was your above waist? 40. It was no. 40. Is 40.1. Yeah, it's 40.1. Well, you sucked so it a, in really well. <laughs> I, I guess so. But like that, you know, so I had three out of the five. So boom, there it is. And that's, that's all you need is to have three out of five to be diagnosed with metabolic syndrome. So why do you think you, you had that going on? I think probably the blood pressure was because there's just um, a combination of things. I wasn't doing as much cardio type workouts. I do as, as far as like, you know, some, any kind of competitive sort of thing. I do these obstacle races like Spartan obstacle races. I injured my shoulder in one that took me a while to recover. So I wasn't doing as much cardio. I was doing maybe some lifting. uh, So I wasn't doing as much cardio. That combined with probably some life stressors Mm -hmm. caused my blood pressure to go up. That combination of things also probably led to my waist circumference being Mm -hmm. elevated. The HDL cholesterol was a little bit harder. I did bring it back up from probably just a combination of just doing the other things that were helpful for my blood pressure, my waist circumference the HDL just kind of tagged along. I don't know that I really did anything special for HDL. Sometimes we think of improving our cardiovascular fitness, maybe taking essential fatty acids like fish oil. So I certainly did those things, but that did um, come up as well. So yeah, I think it's a combination of just those fairly common things, cardio slipping out, um, not doing enough stress management. And that was just a, a combo of things that led to me not being as fit and healthy as I thought I was. That's so interesting because you think of this condition being a diet-related thing, but you always eat pretty healthy, right? I do. I probably eat more than what I should, or at least I, <laughs> okay. I was back both then. feeding was, you too well. <laughs> <laughs> I was making good food choices. is maybe just a little bit too much of it. Mm-hmm. And also, something that I had to really check myself on, 
and I still need to do this in a conscious way because if I'm unconscious, it slips back in, which is eating too late at night. Mm. You know, I coach patients on, you know, don't eat two to three hours before bedtime. And I was definitely creeping into that time zone. Mm-hmm. Were you taking fish oil back then or did you add it in later? I upped it later. I was mm-hmm. taking some um, more days than not, but I upped it and then I upped it to every day as well. I upped the dosage and then I upped the frequency as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so you talk about the five criteria and that's basically how to diagnose it. It's just three of three of the five and then you get that that diagnosis, correct? Yeah, it's so simple. It's such like a, a low tech, what I, that's what I love about it. It's a completely low tech way to evaluate for something that is a risk factor for like the conditions that everybody's trying to avoid, like heart disease, diabetes, obesity, cancer, kidney problems, liver problems are all majorly increased if somebody has metabolic syndrome. And to find out if you have metabolic syndrome, it's just this super like low tech, a simple, simple blood test, and then a couple measurements. And, and then you know if you're there or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Everyone should just get screened for it. It seems like kind of a no brainer. Yep, I'm screening everybody for it. Mm-hmm. I keep a tape measure out and measure the waste. These markers are always a part of our general blood work. Um, and then just checking people for blood pressure. Oh, that's um, great. I, um, yeah, I do those other tests. I mean, I, I definitely could step it up with the blood pressure and waste for sure. And it's, it's great too, because it's a measurable test. So it's, it's like, this is where you're at. <laughs> There's no interpretation around it. Exactly. That's what's great about it. It's very, it's very black and white, very clear. Mm-hmm. So um, how common is yeah. metabolic syndrome for people? It's so common. It's, um, if the statistics are basically like this, if you're under, if you're an adult, under 50, then you have a 25% chance of having it. So you and your out of you and your three friends, one of you are going to have it if you're under mm-hmm. 50. If you're over 50, one out of two people can would be diagnosed with metabolic syndrome. Dang. That's it's ridiculous. It's it's staggering, those numbers. Yeah. And so so yeah, it's it's very, very common. And uh, and not only is it very common, but like I said, it's a significant risk factor for these really serious conditions that are plaguing our culture today. And we could see it much earlier if we look at it this way. Instead of just, oh, you know, okay, yeah, you don't have heart disease right now. Come back next year and I'll let you know if you have heart disease. In, in functional medicine and naturopathic medicine, we don't do it like that. We try to see little signs many, many years before the onset of full-blown pathology. And mm-hmm. metabolic syndrome is one of those ways that we can see those early signs, early even before disease onset. But we can start to see, okay, metabolically, things are not as primed as they should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And you know, heart disease, the number one killer for all Americans, this is yeah. essentially pre-heart disease. We talk about pre-diabetes is kind of pre-heart disease. So yeah. this, this puts you on that path to getting there. That's yeah, really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One out of two for those above 50. I mean, and who knows, maybe those are conservative statistics and maybe it's even more than that, but let's just call it 50, 50 chance above 50 years old. I mean, that's, that's, that's significant. Yeah. So let's compare conventional approach versus naturopathic. So how would conventional medicine treat um, metabolic syndrome? Yeah. Um, so like, like many of the, 
the kind of flow charts in kind of conventional, let's call it pharmaceutical based medicine is okay. You have elevated blood pressure. We have a blood pressure lowering medication. Here you go. Just get on that. And so it basically, again, in our language or in our mind, that suppresses the underlying problem. Suppression isn't really treatment the way that we look at it. It doesn't, if you come off the medication, it pops right back up. In fact, right. sometimes it can rebound to even higher than it was before if somebody comes off some of these medications. So it just kind of puts a cap on a festering problem. And so um, that's the way that that's treated for blood pressure. Triglycerides, you got a medication for that. If your blood sugar is elevated, okay, they got a medication that they might start with something like metformin. And if that doesn't do it, they start going to stronger and stronger medications. Um, I don't think they really have a good drug for waist circumference. Oftentimes what is recommended is just, okay, here's, you know, a handout on like, you know, a diet that you should eat, which is, you know, not as sophisticated and thorough and individualized as the way that we would do it. Um, and then HDL cholesterol, they, they really have, you know, kind of no answers for that. But right. uh, in other words, they just, whatever thing is off, they probably wouldn't even let a person know like, hey, I think you have metabolic syndrome. They just say, okay, your blood sugar and your blood pressure are elevated. Here's the medications that you need to start on right away. Wow. So it's not even diagnosed as what it is. It's not seen in its kind of complete form where you would actually see some threads of commonality between all the different criteria. There's some, there's some deeper uh, interweaving causes that can be treated where you can do one thing and actually knock out like three of the criteria all by just with that one treatment from mm -hmm. a naturopathic standpoint. Yeah. But from a, um, a pharmaceutical standpoint, it's just you got that condition, then here's the drug that suppresses that. I'm just curious, how were you sleeping back then? Um, it's a good, my sleep has always been pretty solid. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as the, the quality of the sleep is okay, mm -hmm. I have improved on my quantity of sleep. Um, I was, um, it wasn't a sleeping problem. I was making myself get up early, which I still do for workouts, but I was going to bed too late. So mm -hmm. I'd sleep just fine, sleep through the night, no waking up, all that was good. But, um, but I wasn't giving myself the quantity. And when I increased just an hour, even 45 minutes before the time I was going to bed before, it made, I think, a pretty impactful difference. So I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't really think about that. But I definitely made a conscious effort to improve my sleep. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in that sleep is just such the Swiss army knife for your general health, mm -hmm. including these metabolic factors. So yeah, I think that I like was that. A, That's a cool that analogy. Was, so what about like sleep apnea? How could that be connected for people who have that? It's so the, these five criteria were, were basically the original five from, I can't remember the year, but somewhere I think in the, in the 1980s. And now that we've learned a lot more, a lot more researchers have taken, a variety of different stabs at, at metabolic syndrome, there's a lot more that we know about it now than we did, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So some actually feel that sleep apnea should be on one of the criteria. Obstructive mm -hmm. sleep apnea is directly correlated to uh, um, metabolic syndrome. And so some have called where the old school name was syndrome X, some things it just maybe in just kind of a cute way, or I don't know if this is official, but 
some think that it should be called like syndrome Y or syndrome Z and add on these other very common um, connections with all these other five. And sleep apnea is definitely one of those five, one of those uh, criteria that some people think should be included. So yeah, it's definitely tied in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know as naturopathic doctors, we run a lot of other lab findings besides, you know, blood pressure or HDL and triglycerides and blood glucose. So what are some other markers that you would kind of add on to someone that you're assessing them for metabolic syndrome? Yeah, I would definitely be interested in their inflammatory markers, um, like high sensitivity C-reactive protein. I'm definitely interested in, to some degree, um, uh, homocysteine, mm-hmm. which is kind of an evaluation of a person's ability to methylate, which could be important. Um, um, the marker that I think actually needs to be part of this criteria is apolipoprotein B. Mm-hmm. So just to take one step back, this, the typical um, you know, lab lipid panel is cholesterol, um, LDL cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, and triglycerides. But it really needs to be expanded because the reason why we run that panel is to evaluate, at least from a biochemical standpoint, evaluate a person's risk factor for heart disease. That's why we're doing it. We want to go, okay, what's your risk factor for heart disease? Because we know that diseased arteries have cholesterol in them. But the old school way of thinking about it is like, oh my gosh, there's cholesterol in the arteries. Everybody needs to go on a cholesterol-free diet. That's like the old school way of thinking about it. Old school, but still some feel that that's the key. But what we have now learned is that this cholesterol doesn't just get there passively. It gets driven into the wall of your artery by a speedboat. And that speedboat is apolipoprotein B. In fact, some lipidologists think that you kind of really can't develop atherosclerosis, hardening of the arteries or diseased arteries, unless your ApoB is elevated. And so with ApoB being the boat, it's all about the cargo, which is the LDL cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So if we can help a person reduce their LDL cholesterol, then the speedboats are going to drop down, the things that drive it into the blood vessels. So I think everybody should have their ApoB, which I bet most of your listeners are like, ApoB, I've never even heard of that before. Like it should be part of every cholesterol panel because without knowing the the boat like we're not as interested in the cargo the ldl so it's super key to know what your uh, your apob and typically with apob you also get tested your apoa1 mm-hmm. so where apob carries ldl apoa1 carries hdl and then oftentimes we look at a ratio of your apob to apoa1 ratio and you want to see that below a certain amount and but apob is kind of like the super key one that I think everybody really needs to have tested. Hmm. And you said the ApoA1 carries the HDL, you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wonder for you if you had low levels of that at the time. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I didn't have it at the time. I have it now. Um, but yeah, I didn't have it at the time. But I would be surprised if it was normal back then based right. on what the rest of the kind of the basic markers were. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I want to look at, I think, those things. I mean, when when you and I run lab work, we, we look at some really comprehensive markers. Uh, but within kind of the discussion of metabolic syndrome, I think it's those ones, the lipid panel, including, you know, the extra markers like the ApoB, oxidized LDL we like to look at, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. then some other inflammatory markers. Um, so, yeah, I think those ones would be key. Uh, of course, we have a healthy respect for hormone metabolism, and we know that 
your hormones can really dictate how other things function in your body. So if we, you know, we can just keep broadening it. And this is the web that we have, that we work with. And we try to mm-hmm. pull on the web to make different changes here and there, but it is a web. It's not really a ladder of hierarchy. It's a web of interconnection. So, um, mm-hmm, so yeah, right. we look at so many different things because that's just the reality of it. For we can't sure. get, you know, it's not as black and white as people would like to think it is. But, um, but yeah, so those are some extra markers that I think are really key for this discussion. And then for men who have maybe low testosterone or higher estrogen, I mean, let's talk about how that can play into the metabolic syndrome. That's another one. Like low T would be another, I think, risk factor mm-hmm. for metabolic syndrome because all the hormones kind of have a similar thing. Like you can create a, a chart with this. Like um, hormones could either be... Um, you know, we talk about catabolic and anabolic. Um, catabolic means breaking down. Anabolic means building up. So all the different hormones fall into these categories. Um, testosterone is kind of the best of both, where it's catabolic to fat tissue, but it's it's anabolic to muscle tissue. Hmm. Contrast that with, let's say, cortisol. Cortisol is actually the opposite. It's anabolic to fat and catabolic to muscle. So if you get somebody who is high in cortisol and low in testosterone, I mean, they're on the fast track to metabolic syndrome. They're on the fast track to obesity. They're on the fast track to just overall uh, weakened metabolism. Mm -hmm. So this again is is how hormones are, are so key in there. And it's a downward spiral too, because as their fat tissue gets higher, that then makes them convert more of their testosterone into estrogen, right? So then they have the lower testosterone that further perpetuates that metabolic syndrome pathway. Yeah, which is so common. That's where a lot of this aromatase enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen, it's in the fat tissue. Some men just kind of naturally make more, but as they get more, especially that visceral adipose tissue, that that fat that accumulates around the organs kind of giving us belly fat, it's that kind of fat that really perpetuates that um, estrogen going up, testosterone going down, and then they just kind of get stuck in that vicious cycle. Yeah, exactly. And then other markers I would think too is like fasting insulin. Like that's such a no brainer, but it's so not commonly ran. You know, I started including that on panels and I was like, this is a very good choice. I'm seeing a lot of off numbers. It's such a, uh, you're absolutely right. That, that, that should have been on my list as I was going down. Fasting insulin, is maybe one of the best markers they have on there because it's uh, it's the canary in the coal mine, which mm-hmm. <laughs> by the way, that phrase. Mm-hmm. So I know you treat some millennials, I treat some millennials and I, I've been asking millennials cause I, I love that phrase for some reason because a lot of markers kind of act like that. Right. Like, this is like the canary in the coal mine. And I look at them, I go, do you know what that analogy means? <laughs> 100% of the time they go, no, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Can you tell I, the millennials who are listening yeah, what that means? I'm going to tell the story, yeah. <laughs> so back in the days when there was like a coal mine, like toxic gases would build up down there and put the coal miners into like danger. And so they'd, they'd literally bring a canary, a little bird in a bird cage down with them. If they saw the bird start to get sick and have problems, they know that the gases are building up into those toxic levels. And so then they would get out of the mine because the bird was dying. So what we so mean by up. that from a, isn't that great? What we mean from like a biochemical standpoint is 
something like insulin could be the first sign that you're getting into some metabolic and maybe even some blood sugar dysregulation issues. If your insulin starts to go up, mm. everything else might look fine right now. But your insulin just starts creeping up. And if we didn't look at it, we wouldn't know it because your glucose might look just fine for a long time. But yeah. your insulin is working really, really hard to make that glucose look normal. But it might be going from 5 and then 10 and then 15 on a fasted insulin. And then you're, you're starting to get in some blood sugar dysregulation issues. Mm-hmm. What's, what's a good like fasting insulin that you like to see? I want to see it in single digits. I don't mm-hmm. want to see it above 10, which is yeah. most labs go, have it going all the way to 25. If mm-hmm. somebody's at 25 with their fasting insulin, they are pre-diabetic. Right. They're, they're, they're having problems. Mm-hmm. If we're below 10, we're pretty much good to go anywhere. Yeah. I'd say like, you know, one to 10 or maybe two. If I, somebody's on keto, I wouldn't be bothered if they went below 2.0 on mm-hmm. insulin. But let's say that most people just following a good, healthy, uh, diet you know between like two and ten i think would be good yeah totally i find with some of my my hypoglycemics though their insulin is super low so we got to actually help to get it a little bit higher so yeah exactly yeah you got to look at that in kind of individual case for sure what about ghrelin and ghrelin and leptin yeah i see leptin um kind of mirror uh insulin Mm -hmm. as we become more insulin resistant the cells not really responding to the elevation of insulin. Same thing happens with leptin. Um, so some of the same mechanisms, leptin, you know, being produced from your fat cells is going up to your brain telling you that you're full. And if, if the brain is not heeding those signals, the body starts ramping up more and more leptin. So we'll see them on a, on a blood test that they have elevated leptin levels, very similar to insulin, where the signal is getting stronger and stronger to try and maintain normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the, they can be really good signs that, again, metabolically things are starting to kind of go off. And ghrelin is just the opposite. We don't run that one as much, mm-hmm. but ghrelin's kind of the opposite. It tells us when we're hungry. Right. And, um, and, <laughs> and call so, growling. Got that yeah, kind of growling. Yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. that's totally like the memory key that we learned in school. <laughs> totally. I uh, thought I, I thought I made it up. I forgot that was from school. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, anyone listening, if you're like, well, I don't know what my blood pressure or my different markers are, well, just start with the waist circumference. I mean, everybody has a tape measure, so just check that out. And if it's over 100%. that, then you know, look into things further for sure. It's a great place to start. In fact, if we were to whittle all this down to like, what is like the one thing that if you got, you know, you know, like when you have like a sweater and you pull that one string, you could unravel the whole sweater. That's what um, waist circumference can do. If we get somebody's waist circumference down, we can get their belly fat burning. And this is the kind of fat that we have to be concerned about. Um, Other types of fat in other parts of the body just don't have this metabolic connection that the visceral adipose tissue, which is why, the waist circumference is so key. We're not telling people to measure their upper arms and their thighs. It's just not as relevant from this metabolic standpoint. But if we can get somebody's waist circumference to go down, in other words, we're getting the body to switch on fat burning, pretty much all these other criteria that we just talked about will, will start to fall into place. Yeah. And this has been looked at um, in research. This, I'm not just, I've seen this clinically, but this is also, this is also, you know, kind of a science-based yeah. 
and also too notice that we haven't said weight one time. We're not talking about body weight because that's really 100%. not the most accurate to look at. That's an excellent point, and it's not at all. It can be totally misleading because if somebody's exercising and they're trying to get their, their health on track or, or keep their health on track, you could be working out with resistance exercises and you're, you're literally building muscle. You could um, you know, gain five pounds of muscle and lose five pounds of fat. You look on the scale and it says the exact same thing. But from a metabolic standpoint, that's a major home run. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. So we talked about the conventional way to address this. Let's talk about naturopathic approaches. So someone comes in, they have metabolic syndrome. What are some things you're thinking of doing for them? Yeah, depending on, um, so I've kind of created this um, sort of stages of metabolic syndrome to, to help me, to help me answer that question from a, mm-hmm. an individual basis. And so each stage is kind of um, a higher degree of metabolic syndrome. And so each stage needs to come with a more intensive or more comprehensive treatment approach because they're getting closer and closer to, um, you know, these, these worst conditions like heart disease and diabetes. So there's kind of like five sort of um, either stages or I call it kind of a metabolic syndrome spectrum. And where a person lands on that spectrum dictates what we need to do with them. Mm-hmm. But here's, this is so simple. There's a really simple way to start oftentimes we talk about um you know what to eat as naturopaths we spend lots and lots of time talking about what to eat and but we need and we're doing this more often but the general public out there has to also understand when to eat and so this has actually been studied um the when to eat component and, and there's an interesting study that was published um which is kind of cool for us because it's published here in San Diego at the Salk uh, Institute. They collaborated with um, UCSD. And this is just published just a few months ago, a couple months ago. Um, the lead author was uh, Sachin Panda, who uh, wrote a really great book and does a lot of studies about the circadian rhythm. There, We have this like circadian rhythm in our body. And, and so what he did is he had a theory that when a person's circadian rhythm is off, that uh, kind of accelerates their development of metabolic syndrome. Hmm. So he took a bunch of patients that were diagnosed with metabolic syndrome, and he did something very, very simple. And he only did basically one intervention, and I'll tell you what happened. But he took these people with metabolic syndrome, and he only did one thing. He just compressed their eating window. It's called time-restricted eating. We call it TRE. So the TRE was 10 hours, which means that they need to consume all their meals in a 10-hour window. It's kind of the opposite side of the same coin as as overnight fasting. Some people might call it intermittent fasting. So a 14-hour overnight fast is the same thing as a 10-hour eating window. Mm -hmm. 14 plus 10 is 24. So there's your 24 hours. So the idea is that you start eating, um, and he actually didn't even dictate which of the 14 hours in a day or 10 hours in a day that a person could eat. They let, he let them come up with it. Hmm. It could be maybe 10 in the morning to 8 at night. There, uh, is that 10? Um, yeah, <laughs> don't make yeah. me do math. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, don't do public math. It's the worst thing you do. No, it's the worst. So 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., that's your eating window. So... Um, 
you can eat. So here's what was the beautiful thing. He didn't tell them what to eat. He didn't tell them how many calories. There's no counting calories. There's no macronutrients. There's nothing. It's like eat what you typically eat. Just eat it during this 10-hour window. That's all he did. And it's a 12-week study. And almost all the parameters um, of metabolic syndrome changed in the majority of people in the study by doing nothing else wow. other than putting them on this 10-hour TRE. That's I mean, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Everyone's like, yay, I don't need to change my diet. Just change how, how long I eat in a day. <laughs> I mean, that's a great, so I start that, that there with some people, some people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into just making steps in the right direction. So sometimes I won't even start out with a 10 hour window. I'll start out with just, let's call it a 12 to 12. So they do a 12 hour overnight fast, 8 PM to 8 AM. There's your 12 hours. And then you have your first meal starting at 8 a.m. And then you can eat between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. There's your eating window. Pretty easy, but you'd be surprised that most people are eating 14 hours a day. Right. So just doing, just doing a 12, because they eat at 6 in the morning, 6.30 in the morning, and they eat all the way until 10.30 at night or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. So if we just start out with a 12, 12, 12 hours overnight fasting, 12 hours of a, that's a great place to start. That could be a win right there. Yeah. And then we start to compress it a little bit. Okay, let's go 13 hours overnight and let's go 11 hours uh, of an eating window and then start to move it to 14, hour, uh, 14 hours overnight fast, 10 hour eating window. And some people have to move a little slower than others. Some people are like, you know, I'm already doing like 13 hours. Cool. Let's start out with 14. Uh, of an overnight fast and a 10 hour eating window. So I kind of start where, where people are at and just start squeezing on that eating window and it makes big changes. So well, imagine, also, well, also too, think about like, cause that's going to be really hard for some people and other people that'll be easier, probably depending on what you eat during those windows. Right. Well, that's exactly what I was going to segue into is like, imagine if we actually coach them on what our healthy food choices. Um, and if they now added in the timing of eating along with what to eat, I mean, it's right there. Game changer. The, the, the treatment's right there. <laughs> yeah. And then as we do, we look at lots of other metabolic things. And if we could tweak their hormones, sometimes we have to do some supplementation. Sometimes we have to do some hormone modification. If we add all that stuff in, then uh, we can really get them where they want to go pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. So back in the day when you had the metabolic syndrome showing up, how late in the night were you eating? 10.30. Okay. You were yeah. Netflixing and chilling, having some Yeah, food. just, um, <laughs> and sometimes it, it might have just been like nuts. Right. You know, I, I'm, I'm not eating, so I've had ice cream for probably like 15 years. I don't Dang. eat like sugar. I don't eat, mm -hmm. it's not cookies. It's like, um, I make this, um, I call it a protein fat bomb mm -hmm. where I put some nut butter, like um, it might be like a multi kind of nut butter. It might be just peanut butter, I, maybe a tablespoon, a tablespoon of coconut oil, tablespoon of chia seeds, and just kind of mix that around. Maybe I'll put some monk fruit in there, make a little dessert out of it and just eat it like with a spoon, like pudding. And to me, those are all healthy things, but at 1030 at night, <laughs> right. that's not, it's just calories that are just sitting there overnight and the mm -hmm. calories are like, yo, I guess we're just going to kind of stick right here. And yeah. so, 
Yeah. What about for people that are, they're like, I have to eat before I bed because it helps me sleep. I can't, you know, I get a blood sugar crash. What would you say to them? Well, so we could maybe do something as a bridge for now, something healthy and something small. But to your point earlier, where if we could start with the first meal of the day is going to dictate what things they crave at night. Because right. if we can get them off of the, what I call the garbage, garbage carbohydrate mm -hmm. roller coaster, then their blood sugar is going to be more even by the time they go to bed at night to where we could eventually get them on, oh, okay, I'm fine with just, you know, a cup of herbal tea mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, um, a handful of nuts or, you know, a half an apple or something like that. And that's fine. And that could help to keep their blood sugar during the, during the night. But if their blood sugar is really crashing during the night, causing a spike of, of adrenaline and cortisol, then we have to fix their diet in a more intensive way during the day. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, that's so, so fascinating about the eating window. What about um, any kind of other naturopathic support? Would you think of maybe herbs or supplements or even like using IV therapy types of, you know, approaches? Absolutely. Um, sometimes we'll tailor it to the individual, like, you know, here we'll evaluate their micronutrient levels and go, okay, wow, you're low in these things that definitely will help support your metabolism. So let's boost these up. Mm -hmm. um, if, if there's enough of a need doing some, um, some IV nutrition, we'll just totally bypass the GI tract, get it right into their system yeah. and get things moving that much quicker. We know that glutathione, which we always include in our nutrient IVs, is just a great uh, antioxidant that definitely supports um, general metabolism. Mm -hmm. um, so those are often included. Sometimes, um, you know, there's like a fish oil that we usually want to pe put people on. There mm -hmm. could be some other nutrients just on, on a case-by-case -case basis. Like sometimes we have to do some adrenal um, adaptogen herbal support because we have to modulate their cortisol because it's mm -hmm. in the wrong direction and it's causing a problem. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe they need support with their digestion. We do support for like digestive enzymes and hydrochloric acid and probiotics for the colon. Like all these things that we just talked about, if, they, if their GI tract is not working right, like kind of none of this stuff that we just talked about matters because the health of your general body is dictated by the health of your, of your gut. And so mm -hmm. sometimes we have to spend time um, before we even get into the, you know, the metabolic system stuff. It's like, okay, we're going to do some GI support for a couple of weeks first, get your gut ready to absorb these nutrients, get the inflammation down in your gut, help you start digesting and breaking down and assimilating your food better. And then we'll, we'll work on these. So sometimes we have to do things kind of stepwise. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, yeah. go at it like that. You know, I think of, I've, I've been thinking of patients as you're talking where I'll diagnose this for them. I wouldn't do the waist circumference, so I'm going to start doing that more. But all the different blood markers for sure and blood pressure that would get a little high for them. And they would have great lifestyle habits, great exercise. They'd eat well, they'd sleep well. And it wasn't until we found hidden infections for them that that was disrupting their blood sugar, disrupting their adrenal glands so much that it was causing these kind of downstream problems. So it is, it's, it's really fascinating that it can be something not related to lifestyle. And most of the time for the majority of Americans, I think it's diet and lifestyle. Um, mm -hmm. But, but for any of you guys listening, it's like, gosh, I, you know, I do all the things that might be something to look into. It could be something a little bit deeper. 
Yeah. And, and those are oftentimes the people that end up coming and seeing us where right. they've done everything. They've went to, you know, eight other providers before they come to see us. And uh, that's how we'll look at things is we have kind of, you know, some common things. If those common things aren't there, then we have to look at some of those slightly less common things like these mm-hmm. chronic pathogens that really probably not a lot of other provider types are, are looking at those, those things. So, yeah. Yeah. That's How much so do you think genetics plays into this for people? It's there. I mean, genetics is definitely there. I think I haven't seen the statistics on genetics in metabolic syndrome, but if we actually look at the individual components like waist circumference and um, well, that one probably comes to mind the strongest, it's probably pretty high genetic predisposition. I don't know the number, let's say for visceral obesity yeah. that is actually at a certain level, let's call it, uh, let's be generous and say 70% genetic. Yeah. Um, so it's high, but guess what? There's still a 30% that's other stuff. Yeah. And if we could identify that other stuff and we could help to fix that, then the genetic predisposition won't be quite as significant. Exactly. Yeah. And you can, you can be working on that epigenetic level and addressing how these genes turn on and off. And there's, there's a lot more power in our hands than what, you know, modern medicine can sometimes elude to. Yes. Yeah. We'll so for anybody listening who they feel like they're dealing with this, what, what are just like simple things they could start today that would make a difference? So it, I would think definitely that the eating window would be one easy yeah. to do. Yeah. If yeah. it's totally new, just try the 12-12. Just, you know, count from the last time you had anything to eat the night before and go, okay, I'm going to go 12 hours and I'm not going to eat anything. By the way, you can have black coffee, you can have tea, you can have water in that period of time. So if you're not eating until let's say 10, but you're like, man, I need my coffee. He's got to have, you know, like black coffee, tea, water is all good mm-hmm. during that time. But you don't have your first sort of calorie until 12 hours later. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, just that is great. Yeah. And then you just start to think of the spectrum of carbohydrate rich foods. We're fans of carbohydrate from a vegetable, even a root vegetable, all the greens and all the veggies out there, like those all are high in carbohydrates, but there's complex carbohydrates. Those are on kind of the healthy spectrum. But then there's the unhealthy spectrum. Some of them are just non-negotiables, like high fructose corn syrup. Let's put it, but that at the kind of the furthest of the unhealthy end of the spectrum. But then like the sugars and sweets, and then, you know, slightly higher up is like the refined processed grains. It's the processing the grains that make them kind of poisonous to this metabolic conversation and so getting those out just starting to avoid the real you know um kind of um processed carbohydrates while at the same time doing this um tre you know 12 hour Mm -hmm. time restricted eating um just doing that getting out the the refined processed grains the sugars and sweets that's a great place to start for somebody and then as they just they'll notice that um, things start to change in their system and they start to have their cravings will change. Their desires will change. They might realize, you know what? I don't really need this snack right now. I'm not hungry. I'm just, I want this from kind of a habitual standpoint, but I don't really need this right now. Mm -hmm. Then we know that they're starting to switch from sugar burning into fat burning because we have tons of fat to sustain us. Even very lean people, have tens of thousands of calories 
of fat ready to go. We're only able to store about 2,000 calories of glucose. So it seems pretty clear to me that Mother Nature intended us to burn fat for fuel because yeah. there's, there's kind of like no upper limit and we always have some even when we're super lean. And so um, as people start to make that transition, just making these minor changes, they'll see that the, they just, they're not as hungry. So people don't need six meals a day, three main meals and snacks. You can start to space out your, your meals. I try to coach people on, let's say they go with that 10-hour TRE or even 12-hour TRE. Try to have your three main meals within a 60-minute period of time and then, and then no snacks in between. So you have breakfast within 60 minutes and then no snacks till lunch. And then you have mm -hmm. your lunch. Start it and complete it within 60 minutes. And the same thing with dinner. And um, what that does, that just helps to keep insulin under control. And insulin is kind of the gatekeeper of are we storing fat or burning fat? So it's really getting a hold of insulin. And we can do that with all those kind of pretty basic food choices. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And it's, it's a def, definitely a different model than eat every two to three hours. You know, snack every two to three hours. You hear that advice from people. It's just that could be further from what you want to be shooting for. Yeah. yeah. You want to train your body so that it can maintain that, that balance on its own. Um, yeah. I agree with all of those. I would probably just add in walking. You know, we know walking can decrease belly fat. So if that's one of the main things that can, you know, walk a half hour a day and, and totally. add one more hour of sleep. Oh yeah. Us can use it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Awesome doc. Well, any other parting words or I think we, we did a good um, interview. I started a platform where it's not really developed yet, but this platform is going to be all about metabolic syndrome. It's called um, Adaptology, A-D-A-P-T-O-L-O-G-Y, mm -hmm. uh, adaptology.health. Mm -hmm. And right now I actually created a, uh, a free guide that people can jump on adaptology.health and they could um, download a free guide that it's actually about the immune system. It's things that people aren't talking about right now to help support their immune systems. Mm, but right. there's a bunch of things that are in there that support immune system that are actually very similar to what we've talked about that also help to support your metabolism. So people can check that out. Awesome. I love it. Well, I appreciate so much you being generous with your time. I know you're at the office right now in between patients. So thanks for taking the time to hop on and talk all things health again. Um, so grateful to have you. And um, yeah, I appreciate so much of uh, your generosity. Yeah, it's always fun. And uh, thanks for having me. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.